lighter note. Anybody watch the Olympics? Yeah, one hand, two hands, sort of hands. Eh, yeah, any favorites? Any favorite sports? You can shout them out. Anything you've enjoyed so far? Skateboarding, surfing. Anything else? Track. Good. I didn't. I didn't expect skateboarding. You've enjoyed that. Oh, okay, I love it. Um, it's what? Ah, there we go. Okay. Oh, that's true. Was this the first year they're in it? Skateboarding is new. Sorry. Up on the Olympics, okay? Uh, it's a total tangent from where, where we're heading. Um, but what, what I have done thus far is they keep like a scoreboard of gold medals, right? Uh, and you can just track along, you can look, and it has each country, and it has the number of medals, and you can very quickly know whether you are doing good or not, whether your country is doing good or not, uh, you know, how legit are in the games to say. And I realize as watching that, we have no indication for how good our life is. Measure how good your life is going. And I think about oftentimes how you might ask someone, like, oh, how are you doing? And that common response, like, oh, I'm doing good. And it's like, my life is good. I think it's good, but is it really? How do we know if our life is good and if it's going well? I think oftentimes, very quickly, we can think about money, right? We can think about how well we are doing. Oh, yeah, there it is. We can think about how well we are doing financially. We can measure it within our career. We can measure it with the house we have, the cars we buy, the clothes we wear, because we can monetize everything. And the more money we have, oftentimes, you know what? Life, life is good, right? We can also look at relationships. Man, my relationships are thriving right now. I have connection with people. I'm in love with someone. You know, whatever it is, my life is good because I have good relationships. Our health, I have a clean bill of health. I haven't had any bad news from the doctor. Everything is going as planned. Man, life is good. But when these things start to fall apart, when these things are not going the way we want them to, if these are our measurements for life being good, that also says that these are our measurements for life being bad. And then we just ride this roller coaster of these up and downs, depending on how the common culture measures whether we are doing good or not. And the challenge is, is that we will continue to have different ways of measuring this day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. Culture continues to shift and there's different ways of measuring whether you're doing good or not, right? Your transition, your season of life happens and all of a sudden there's different ways of measuring. Like there's no constant in any of it to measure whether your life is good. And here is a part of why I am so thankful for scripture, that we have something that for thousands of years continues to still speak wisdom and truth. And we are going to go very far back today and in this next four-week series called Origins, where we want to look back at some certain themes in the Old Testament just for these four weeks. And today, we're going to go all the way back to the first page of the Bible. We're not going to say that very often, but page one is where we're going to start. And what we want to do is find ways in which we can still hold on to something, although everything around us continues to move and shift, and we constantly have better or worse ways of measuring things. So to get us started, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. How many of you heard that before? 
decent. Yeah, a couple hands. Yeah, scary. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody has maybe read that once. And if you are new to church or faith and trying to figure things out, I'm sure you've at least heard that. Um, we're going to go to school real quick for seven minutes. And I think it's worth it. And then I'll jump back up. But this will help paint a picture of how the rest of this plays out. The first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say, the heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes. And this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah. Every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2 that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days one through three, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days four through six, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay, and then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land, and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly 
above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then, matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then, God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now, over and over, God says what he created was good. But then, after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures. But they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so we're completed, the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six, It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy. So God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right, the seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse, and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about. So statistically, about 10% of you really enjoyed that, uh, you know, and probably about 40% are like, okay, some interesting stuff there. And then it just tapers off to like 8% of you might have fallen asleep. Like it, we're just all over the place here. But here's what I want us to hear is there is so much going on in scripture than just a plain reading of even something like Genesis 1. For how many of us have read that? And what happens is I think, um, actually real quick, we will just talk about Tim Getter, the sixth and the seventh. This is why I want us to work with Tim this Friday and Saturday. So if you have not checked it out, to actually walk away with tools and resources to understand scripture in a deeper way, to not worship just knowledge of what's going on in the Bible, but how it's actually working out in our life in much more impactful ways. You will walk away with things to engage the Bible for the rest of your life differently. Um, but through all of this, this entire thing is it starts to, to, to actually peak at Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. 
And the whole reason I play this video is to understand that we can look at a how of Genesis or we can look at a who and a why. We can look at how everything was made, which I think falls short, we just found, or we can look at who and why. God saw, it all, saw all that he had made and it was very good. Because the tendency can be just to kind of go through Genesis 1 as this checklist of, okay, he separated this and that. Oh, he made this. Oh, and he filled that. And But understanding this narrative and story invites us into creating everything. How purposeful God was in creating you. The major thing we pull away from looking at who and why is delight. When God creates mankind, when he creates you and he looks at it and he says, very good, what he is ultimately saying is he's saying, I delight in you. I delight in the fact that I have created you. I delight in the fact that you have life. Even to go so far as to say he has created you so that he can delight in you. Much more than how the world was made. So much more. And I think about this personally. We wake up and we have our French press or we go to the review and get some triple shot uh, flavor thing, like whatever it is. And we drink it and afterwards we say, "Mm, that was good. Right? We, We have these things in our life, our relationships. Man, I, you know, I go on a trip and I have a bunch of friends and we laugh the entire time. Oh, that was so good. Love's first kiss. I, I don't know like if you remember yours, but it's like, oh, that was so good. And what we're saying is that we delight in something. That is good. And if you've ever had anything that good is good and you want to delight in, you want to delight in it more. You want to be able to say this is good more and more and more. You were created for purpose far greater than your pleasures. You were created for purpose far, far greater than your pleasures. The things that you measure... Very intentionally, you were created for purpose. And I know life can feel ordinary and we have these routines, but God wants to delight in you even inside that ordinary life. We were not made for the material things. That's why every time we consume something and we delight in it and we say it's good, we have to just continue finding more of it and different variations of it. We are not just made for purchasing things for our own pleasure, for our own comforts. We're not made for controlling everything and and just having the fixations of our life dictate whether life is good or not. It's not just whether things are going good or not by how we measure them. God created you to delight in you. Like one of the most simple sermons I ever give. But I want you to walk away with that this morning. God created you to delight in you. 
And what we can think about this is we can think about doing versus being. And every single day we wake up and there's a lot of things to do in our jobs and our families, whatever it is, there's this doing and these doing and these doing. We oftentimes measure life, whether it's good or not, is how are we doing? How are we doing at this? How are we doing at that? How are we doing it over there? How are we doing it over here? We just go on and on and on. And we don't oftentimes ask the question, how are we being? Who are we being? One thing we can look at is a checklist like this in regard to some of the work through emotionally healthy discipleship. I know my doing exceeds my being when I can't shake the pressure I feel from having too much to do in too little time. I'm ignoring the stress and the anxiety and the tightness of my body. I'm concerned with what others think. I'm often fearful about the future. I'm always rushing. I'm defensive and easily offended. I'm preoccupied and distracted. I fire off quick opinions and judgments. I feel unenthusiastic about or threatened by others, the success of others. I spend more time talking than listening. The list can go on and on and on, but oftentimes these are indicators to say that we are so focused on doing and possibly doing good in life that we missed out on being. And it's being that actually leads to becoming, not as much doing. And what God is saying is he's, I've created you because I want to delight in you. And if God wants to delight in us, how much more does he want us to then delight in him? How much more does he want us something that can transcend whether we are doing good or not? Whether life is going good or not? Towards in that video, it said that, that God rested after he created everything. But it wasn't just this rest that says he put up his feet and grabbed a pina colada on the beach. It means that he actually took his place, moving his kingdom forward, that he was actually inviting us to the mission that he has to restore and redeem everything. Because the fall happens after this, and all he wants to do is restore us back to delighting in him, to being with him. When everything else is falling apart, we can be with the God who wants to delight in us. And the invitation is for us in our ordinary lives when we don't feel like things are going good to be in him. I know for a lot of us, we can work through the day and the weeks and the years and things just go up and down and we don't know where God is or is he far off and we start to fall out of comfort or we're, we're worried about this. Or we're, how, is this going to sustain me financially? We just go on and on and on and on. If you've seen the, the movie or read the books, the Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this scene where Susan and Lucy actually find out that Aslan is a lion. And they're having a little conversation with the beaver. And she goes, I shall, fall, I shall fear rather nervous meeting a lion. He's the king, I tell you. See, we can continue to strive for comfort. We can continue to strive for life being good. We can do everything we can in our control to make sure it happens that way. In every single area of your life, can you believe that even when you do not feel safe that God is good? Can you believe that even when you do not feel safe, you can actually rest in a God who delights you? You believe that no matter what's going on in your life, he's still an invitation to you to delight in him. When we see this revealed in John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son 
who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God wants to delight in us so much that he sent and sacrificed his son. This is why we look to the life and the teachings of Jesus, because it is the embodiment of God amongst us that invited us to delight in him because he has first demonstrated what it looks like to delight in us. This whole thing, God emptying himself in Jesus to undo everything that he is of that Trinity is to remake us. If we are open to receiving the delight he has in us and to return in response to delight in him. And there's a few ways that this could look. And then we're going we're gonna to move in to follow the way of Jesus, to grow in the teachings of Jesus. As we can go about this, but here's some ideas of how we can find more delight in our life. And I think it all starts of slowing. Can we slow down? Can we resist the temptation to have the natural response, oh yeah, I'm busy. Can we resist the temptation to spend hours and hours on social media and news channels? Could we resist the temptation to find success and do whatever it takes and say yes to everything? Can we slow down? Can we find ways to drive in the slow lane intentionally every once in a while? Service. God created to del- for us to delight in him and to delight in other people. One way we can do that is we can serve. We can give of ourselves as God has so demonstrated that he gives of himself. This is where you can connect AP's story. Like looking around us, how do we just each look around us and say, how can I be a blessing? Because if you're trying to just measure everything, whether it's good or not in your life, you will be paralyzed and you will be good for nobody. Scripture. A little heavy emphasis on engaging your Bible today. But this is a way that we get formed. It's not about getting all the information we found it out from Bible Project and Tim Matthew right now. It's not about having the way things work out properly defined and everything figured out. But can we be invited into a story where God is transforming all things, starting with us? And lastly, sol- silence and solitude as a way of prayer. Can we open ourselves up? Can we move beyond the grocery checklist of giving God things that we want him to uh, give us to respond to? Now, could we be so open that we can sit and listen for his voice? Sometimes you'll feel like he's not speaking. But he might just delight in you in that moment as you open yourself up to delight in him. God created you to delight in you. He has such a simple invitation for us. And I believe if we can step more into this, we will continue to see more transformation individually. We will continue to see more transformation collectively. And what will happen is things will just begin to transform around us. Because this is what God's up to. He's delighting in his creation, and he so longs for you to delight in him. Invite the ministry team forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few moments here just delighting.